0: Hello, hello, my friends. Rob Orman here. Hope you're well. This is episode 102 of the Stimulus Podcast, where we break down ideas, strategies, and tactics to help you live and work with intent. I'm a physician coach helping clinicians work through burnout, overwhelm, feeling stuck, and just promoting general kickassery. If you want to elevate your career or dig out of a hole, drop me a note at roborman.com. We'll chat about it. The Flameproof Course is open for registration. Mentioned this last episode, the first cohort begins September 2023. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, let me tell you what's what. Scott Weingart and I have put this course together. We've been working on it for about a year. And what it is, is our best strategies, our best tactics, the most frequent challenges and impactful frameworks from our one-on-one coaching sessions. We've built them into a live virtual course designed just for you. These are the skills that we should have learned in school, in residency, for self-mastery, for career longevity, for anti-burnout. This is 12 sessions over six months, and you will be working with a cohort of like-minded clinicians to help you find join your job, set up a barrier for burnout, and thrive in your career in ways you may have never expected. There's a link to the Flameproof website in the show notes for this episode. Now, if you, are, you hear that and you're like, oh, I am just stoked, yes, I'm in. Check it out. If you've got just a, a shred of interest, huh, what's it all about? Check it out anyway. It might not be for you, it might not be your cup of tea, but you may get there and think, ooh, yeah, this is exactly what I didn't know I was looking for. And if you want an in-person experience, just a couple of weeks away, we have our half-day flameproof workshop coming up as a pre-conference for essentials of emergency medicine in Las Vegas. And if we'll see you there, then you know what? We'll see you there. Let's get on to the show. When I was a few years into attending hood, one of my partners wanted to change our reimbursement structure. I was incensed. I thought it was contrary to the values of the group. Now, there was nothing objectively wrong with what he was proposing. I was just just pissed about it possibly passing. So I came into the meeting where it was going to be discussed. I sat down next to him and I said, in a full fit of exasperation and irritation, this is such a horrible idea. I can't believe you're even suggesting it. And now how I just delivered that right then is let's say a bit more genteel than how it came about. You know, if we watched a replay of it, let's just say things went downhill from there. Let's say somebody reports to you and says something that you think is bone. Headed, and in case boneheaded is an idiom that is not culturally resonant, doltish, they say something ignorant or you think imbecilic. You respond with an eye roll, a sigh, and a pause preparing your rebuke and complete course correction because really, what a dumbass. All right, what's the common thread here? It's succumbing to the reactive state of rebuke. I am right. You are wrong. And in your wrongness, you are 100% wrong. What happens then? How does the conversation proceed? Is it productive and moving forward, setting up future discussions for success? No, it is not. I think a lot of us have a natural propensity to contract and retreat into the rightness of our own position. It can happen in business, in leadership, in medicine, in relationships. Anytime you're interacting with Someone else, even if it's just in your own mind, this can be the place that we naturally go to. There's myriad frameworks to address this. We've talked about several on this show, listening to understand the Spock Retreat, nonviolent communication. And one that we haven't looked at much is one of my favorites. I'm not sure if I've even mentioned this on the show before. It's the 10% rule. The condensed version of the 10% rule is that the other person is at least. 10% right. Our inner critic not only criticizes us, but others and situations. Our inner critic focuses on what's wrong and is often at play when we have that immediate reactive rebuke. It's where creativity, ingenuity, and collaboration go to die. The other aspect of us, which rather than being judgmental and diminishing, is discerning and curious and focuses on what's right and supercharges creativity, collaboration, and even psychological safety. How does the 10% rule work? The basics of it, the basic structure are you're presented with an idea. Maybe it's in a meeting. Maybe it's face-to-face. Your gut reaction is bad idea or even dangerous, dangerous, or, oh, I can't stand them. I can't stand their ineptitude. And one word that will feature strongly in how you may respond to such an idea is but, in all caps, but with an exclamation point. With the 10% rule, finding 10% value, your response is something to the tune of, what I like about that idea is da da da, whatever. This is different. There's a subtle difference here. This is different than saying that you like the idea itself, because saying that, well, that might in fact be a lie. You might not like the idea in total, but there's almost certainly 10% in there that you do like. A few episodes ago in the Spock retreat, we broke down how we react when we're told no. It's not a warm and happy collaborative place in our brain. And taking this into account, the 10% response is saying yes. Yes, to a splinter of the idea. And then you build on it. And for you thespians and theater aficionados, there is absolutely Venn diagram overlap between this and the keystone of improv. Yes, and. The word and builds. The word but tears down. And is quiet collaboration. But is quiet rebuke. Let's look at a few situations to apply the 10% rule, picking out 10% of what you like and then building on it. Here's something ridiculous. Someone says to you, you know what? I'm thinking of buying one of the decommissioned space shuttles so I can get to work faster. Now on the surface, you might think that's moronic. What's the 10% in there? There could be a lot of 10% it's thinking of a way to improve the commute to work. What I like about that idea is less stress and getting to work. Let's build on that and whatever. Now, here's something I used to find incredibly frustrating. I was working in a busy community emergency department, and there was a residency program associated with it, an internal medicine residency. The internal medicine interns and residents would sometimes come into conflict with the way that emergency medicine approached things. Now, I'm not trying to throw internal medicine under the bus here. I'm just reflecting on something that happened that was not uncommon with newly minted docs who had a different mindset, a different approach. Well, my job was to make sure the patients were safe and introduce these learners to a different way of thinking. A resident or an intern would see somebody with a chief complaint where there were five potential life threats that you had to consider. Now, why did you have to consider the potential life threats? Because in emergency medicine, just like the culture of Mandalore, this is the way. So, an off-service resident would come out of the room of a headache patient, let's say, worst headache ever. And sometimes they would say, hey, yeah, this uh, sounds like a really bad tension or migraine, doesn't look too serious. Now, in all fairness, that was often the case. Playing the odds, that statement was usually correct, but that's not the way that the emergency medicine mindset works. In these situations, we don't play to win. We play not to lose. I would respond, all right, so what are the serious issues we need to think of here? And sometimes there would be an eye roll and this response, you know, you guys always think someone has meningitis or subarachnoid hemorrhage. I see people like this in clinic all the time. It's always a tension or migraine headache. Yeah, probably true. And then there would be this whole push-pull pissing contest about different mindsets and selection bias of who comes to the clinic versus the emergency department, the different specialty approaches to headache, all that crap we were basically telling each other, you don't know what you're talking about. There's many ways to communicate this. I mean, there's whole sections of bookstores dedicated to communication, but we're talking about one particular thing. We're talking about the 10% rule. And this is not necessarily conflict resolution. This is conflict abatement. This is taking a stance of discernment and curiosity. So the resident comes out of the room and says, yeah, I think this guy's got a bad migraine. Let's do a sphenopalantine ganglion block and send him home. There's a lot to like in that nerve block to help symptoms, getting the guy home. There's a lot to not like in that, such as not thinking about other possibilities or potential life threats. How do we 10% this? I'd like that we're getting on symptom management right out of the gate. And you've got discharge planning already in mind. Let's put that on the shelf for a moment and think about the potential serious things that could be going on. Just make sure we're not missing anything. What else is on the differential diagnosis here? Just a subtle shift. It would be almost imperceptible except to you and probably your interlocutor. And you know what it's like to be categorically shut down versus somebody taking you seriously or at least listening. There was no judgment there. Like, oh God, I can't believe you're not thinking of the things that are potentially serious in this person and only the most likely possibility. There's no judgment with the 10% rule. There may be an initial bubbling up of the internal UG. You can't control that. It just bubbles up. Awareness of it is key. And there's no need to stuff it away. No need to say, Oh, be gone. It's just natural for the brain to jump to that kind of judgment. Just sit with it for a moment and then recalibrate. How do I 10% this? Where is the and in here? And this absolutely can be applied to active conflict. In conflict, we are so often trying to prove our rightness. Righteous indignation is the order of the day. But if you can see at least 10% value in their perspective, if you can have even a shred of curiosity and shift from figuring out how to win versus figuring out how to understand, oh, that's a game changer. What's the 10% you can fully agree on and then build on? let's get back to what we're talking about in the beginning, the scenario where one of my partners was presenting a new reimbursement strategy. And I came in hot. I was maverick buzzing the tower. Well, first be quiet and listen. So I can understand what they're actually saying. In this case, they were presenting a pure fee for service model. When, The current practice was we had an hourly rate and the hourly rate model was because citizenship in the hospital was so important to the group and it was considered in our reimbursement. We all contribute in different ways to the group. If we were getting fee for service and it was pure eat what you kill, so to speak, and then that would be all that was valued, efficiency and billing. I was so opposed to this, not because it was you know, some kind of incorrect business model. Well, because it was just not the culture of our group. And I thought it would irreparably alter that culture. A little epilogue to that. I've since worked in several fee-for-service cultures and it's fine. You know, there's there's really not much of a difference with the citizenship or, you know, the involvement in the group. But at the time I was dead set against it. So how would 10% play out here? It might be something akin to after listening. What I like about this idea is rewarding productivity. And let's build on that to incorporate hospital citizenship and quality of care. The end is critical to the 10% because here is a similar sentence using the 10% with a but instead of end. What I like about that idea is rewarding productivity, but it doesn't incorporate hospital citizenship and quality of care there's a subtle shift. When that butt comes out, there's a natural internal defensive posture for both parties. And just try this. If you pay attention to all the butts in your day, and I'm talking about the conjunction butt, not the body part. If you pay attention to all the butts, you will probably be surprised by their prevalence, not only in how many are said to you, but how many you say. And let me close with this. If you are up for a challenge, see if you can apply the 10% rule in your own life. You can do it at work. You can do it at home. And I guarantee that there will be ample opportunity on the daily. Let me know how it goes. And that is it for today. Got a little country pep going today. You know, got to mix up that closing music. I mean, after 102 episodes, you think, "Eh, change it up a little bit. We'll see. We'll see how this feels. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, the flameproof course, or sign up for our newsletter, which has bonus strategies and ideas not heard on the pod and some wickedly cool things you might enjoy, head over to RobOrman.com. And until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.